You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. To left center, deep, gone, Brewers lead it. And a swing and a miss, he struck him out. Down the line, and that's the ball game. Hey, Brewers fans, welcome to the 25th episode of Brewers Unfiltered here of the 2023 season. We are getting deep into September here. And we're uh, we're thrilled to be here talking more Brewers baseball with you. It's Adam McAlvey, Tim Dillard, and Sophia Minert back with you here this week. And guys, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. We're going to be talking pitching, pitching, and more pitching. <laughs> because that has been the story for this team here lately. Uh, just finished up a road trip against the Pittsburgh Pirates and the New York Yankees. Dropped two out of three to Pittsburgh. One, two out of three against New York. And, uh, you know, the first two games against the Yankees and the Bronx, it was it was heavy offense. It was 17 runs scored in those first two games. And then on Sunday, uh, we got a treat. It was Corbin Burns against Garrett Cole. It was an absolute pitching clinic. And the Brewers were on the brink of history. Corbin Burns, eight no-hit innings. Devin Williams came in for the ninth. The Brewers' bullpen took a no-hitter into the 11th. Uh, before they ultimately, the Yankees came back to tie the game, and we ended up having 13 wild innings of baseball. I wrote about 25 game stories that day. <laughs> the game that the Sunday game deserved about 25 game stories. Um, there was so much that we can unpack from that game alone. But then they come home, and Brandon Woodruff throws a complete game shutout, allowed just six hits, nine strikeouts for him in that outing. So, guys, it's just been wild what we have seen from Corbin Burns, the eight. No hit innings. Brandon Woodruff, a complete game shutout. And then Tuesday against the Miami Marlins, Freddie Peralta sets a career milestone. 200 strikeouts for him on the season. Nine last night, six and a third, his 15th quality start of the year. So all of that being said, the big three, they are maybe as good as what we have seen them uh, at this point this year and maybe in their careers. And now the Brewers are getting all kinds of national notice because everybody's starting to piece together their, you know, potential postseason matchups. I'm talking about like, you know, MLB Network is talking a lot about the Brewers lately. The national writers are paying a lot of attention to the Brewers. And it's because their formula is going to be just what we thought, pitching and defense. Um, if they are going to advance deep into the postseason, it's going to be on the strength of those elements and they're, they're working together. And, and I would say, you know, the, the offense has also really come around, and I think that is important to note. I didn't look at the numbers again today after they scored three runs, but going into yesterday, they were 15-6 and six in the last 21 games while scoring better than six runs a game. So the phases had kind of all, you know, all three phases that they talk about pitching offense and defense had kind of all come together. Um, and it was leading to, I think, a lot more notice in the last week or so of the Brewers as a potentially dangerous foe, should they be fortunate enough to reach the postseason A and get past that minefield of a three game wildcard series. Yeah, I mean, if you're, you're talking about people actually taking notice of the Brewers. How about Hobie Milner on MLB Network? He did a great job. In that studio. Was a, that was a great clip, yeah. Um, and, and I think they deserve all this recognition because you start looking at uh, Woodruff, Burns, Peralta. I mean, that comes to mind the Zito, Mulder, Hudson of the A's or like a Linscombe, uh, Bumgarner, Matt Cain of the Giants. Like these are, th- these are power forces, right? And uh, they're doing some of their they're, – they're pitching some of their best baseball right now. And to get Woodruff healthy, he's been outstanding since coming off. Uh, Peralta coming off winning uh, Player of the Month or Pitcher of the Month for August. Burns, Pitcher of the Month for July. I mean, this is this is huge stuff. And we know the team was going to be good, and it was centered around pitching. Uh, but what they're doing now is just off the charts. I did a little math, so this is probably going to be wrong. But if you go back uh, last eight games, the six-game road trip, and then the two right here at home, uh, we're looking at 48, I hope this is right, 48 and a third innings pitched, six earned runs. That's ridiculous. 18 hits, most of those are singles, and 52 strikeouts. That's a 1.12 ERA. Uh, we're, we're reaching some new ground here. And if you go back just the last three games, 
the team has a .39 ERA. .39. I mean, I'm it's one run in 23 and a third innings. So it's it's just on all facets of the game shutting down an offense. Uh, and of course, the Brewers' offense will thrive in that environment. It, it's it's just I don't know. You ex- I think they walk to the plate knowing, hey. Pitchers aren't going to give up a run. We might as well score some, and they have. And uh, to your point, Adam, I did a little bit of more math, so <laughs> this is wrong as well, I'm sure. Last eight games, they've scored 48 runs. Uh, so, the, yes, that is exactly six runs per game, just in the last eight. Yeah, and look, I, the other part to note, I think, is they're still prioritizing rest, which is notable um, to me and shows you how – important they feel these guys are like as we were recording we're getting ready for a trevor mcgill opener night tonight um and you know they're going to reintroduce adrian hauser to the rotation for the finale against the marlins he'll come off the injured list so they're still trying everything they can even in this long stretch of games to give the guys where they can as much rest as possible. And that to me seems a big part of this equation, especially when we're talking about Freddie Peralta. Like, let's remember he pitched 78 innings last year because of the shoulder injury. And for him to come back with 200 innings, um, he said going into the year, that was one of his goals. And, you know, Sophia, the way you asked the question last night was so good, just about what a big deal it was for him to reach that personal milestone because they're all, they're all, no one, none of them is going to want to talk about personal milestones right now. They're all, they're all going to talk about the team and trying to make the playoffs and win the division is important to get that home field in the first round. Um, but, but that individual milestone is a really cool thing for a guy who really went through it last year. Um, and I think the Brewers, from Chris Hook and Craig Council's point of view, the building in those extra days as often as possible is a really big part of their plan. And I, I think that's worth paying attention to as, as part of the story of this. these guys kind of peaking at, they hope, at the right time. I had, I had a long conversation with pitching coach Chris Hook yesterday. And, and as always, he's just like so insightful and, and he knows this group inside and out going back to their time in their minor leagues as as their pitching coach and obviously now in his fifth season here as the major league coach. And, you know, even looking at Brandon Woodruff's complete game shutout, Chris Hook wanted to take him out after the seventh inning just because of the rest part, Adam, that you're talking about. Like even, the, you know, it was a big lead at the time. They ended up winning the game 12 to nothing. The offense was rolling. There were a couple long innings in there. I think after the seventh, Woody was at like 84 pitches. And, and Chris Hook, the way he described it was like, you don't want to overheat the engine, right? He said, we're good. <laughs> like, Brandon's in a great place. He had a great outing. Let's just, that's a wrap. And 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 Woody said, oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I can keep going. He had that quick eighth inning. And then the real conversation happened, right? About Craig Council was very firm with Woody about not a single pitch over 105. Well, it did take him 106, you know, to get the complete game shutout done. But Chris Hook called it like these these North Star moments for these guys, like for a for a pitcher like Brandon Woodruff, who has been an all star. He's accomplished a lot. He's had a 200 plus strikeout season to have a complete game shutout. It's hard to do. Right. And it's really hard to do it. And and Hook also said part of that is like, oh, by the way, we have a really good bullpen. It's not always a reflection of how these guys are pitching and the quality starts. Sometimes it's just we want to get the ball to our great relievers and so I think it's the same thing with Freddie Peralta like nobody wants to talk about their individual success um they're obviously all about you know winning games and doing the job and hopefully winning the division and a deep postseason run but I think for Freddie Peralta 200 strikeouts that's also like a you know a quote-unquote north star moment for him of like it's important for these guys as they compete and they push each other which we talk about all the time how much they how connected they are, how much they push each other and love competing against each other. Like, I think this stuff does matter, you know, for them to have these individual moments of, hey, like you can be the dude and I can be the dude and you can follow it the next day. And and Tim, maybe you can speak to that dynamic of why in a healthy way this really works for this group. Well, one thing is you're, you're right. When it comes to the bullpen, if the bullpen was garbage, these guys would have way more innings and they would be left out there for way more pitches. I mean, that's just that's just what you would do. You would feel more comfortable with your starter going back out for the seventh or the eighth rather than bring in a, a bullpen that you're not 
you know, totally sold on. But yes, they have an outstanding bullpen, one of the best in baseball. So yes, you could turn it over. But I, I, as a pitcher, you have these milestone moments that you need as a pitcher. It's 200 innings. Burns got 200 innings. What's the first thing he talked about? He's like, this is what you, this is your goal as a pitcher, as a starting pitcher at any level. You want to get that milestone. And obviously, the minor leagues, you'll never get there. I tried my best. <laughs> you can't get 200 innings in the minor leagues anymore. But to get it in the big leagues, it's a big deal. 200 strikeouts, a big deal. You're talking about a complete game. And it doesn't even really have to be a, a shut piece, right? You could still just throw a complete game. Uh, that's a big deal. And so for to see these guys get these moments, it's huge. It's And you have to almost be selfish in a way and go, you know what? Like That was a big deal for me. And I, I'm so glad that they ran him back out there, Woodruff, uh, because I don't know if they would have stopped him. I think it would have been an awkward moment. He would have ran to the mound, and somebody from the bullpen, would they would have met at the mound. and you know, He's a big man. Awkward. I wouldn't want to run into a Brandon Woodruff <laughs> yeah. roadblock. I think he came off the mound and was like, in the eighth inning, was like, like walked off into the clubhouse. Like, please don't talk to me. Don't take me out of this game. Uh, you need that. You want that. You want the right? What have we seen in the news? The guy that's for the uh, Mariners that was like, I can't believe I was in the game with a hundred pitches. Like, I don't want to pick on that guy. I'm sure he had a, you know, a, a whatever moment. But uh, you want a complete staff that is like, don't you ever take me out of this game? That's what you want. Yeah, George Kirby came the next day and also said like that was frustration. That's not me. He tried to clean it up, and unfortunately, that's going to follow him now for a long time because it's not what you want to hear from from your pitcher. I, I find this whole thing very interesting because it's like another collision between kind of the the way we've always thought about pitchers as these the workhorse the guy you have to pry the ball out of his hands and the new way of thinking about load management (laughs) kind of the cold hard sterile way of thinking about pitching I understand both I really do because I, I as I said I really do believe that the load management the rest is such a big part of the success story of the Brewers over the last couple of years in the pitching that they've had. Um, but I also do like the old way, man, where it's like, God, you finish what you started and we never get to see that in baseball anymore. Um, and I'm just telling you, we stood there with Brandon Woodruff after that game and we saw in his eyes and heard in his voice what that meant to him to pitch in the ninth inning. He said he was nervous. You know, he was amped. He was going way too quick. He missed the zone terribly with the first couple pitches because he was wound up. And he calmed down and he finished it. And there's no metric to tell you what that did for him. There's no statistic. There's no measurement. But I'm telling you, just looking in his eyes, Sophia, I I think you'd agree. That that meant something for Brandon Woodruff. And if that... and if that pays off in a wild card game or whatever it is, or a, you know, down the line, they hope, then man, that was worth it. So I see both sides of it. And it's kind of, again, another one of these collisions of the new and old. And I just, I guess my point is my, my get off my lawn moment. I try not to have too many of them on here, but I hope that part of the game doesn't completely go away. Like, you know, where the guy wants the ball and you you kind of look in his eyes and you trust him and you, you give it to him. Well, there's, I mean, complete games. There was before the other night, there were 13 teams that didn't even have a complete game. And the Brewers pitchers have been able to overcome so much. The only thing they can't overcome is the team issued pitch count. That's been one of their <laughs> their biggest, you know, maybe it's a great thing with work manage or load management and all that, but there's a certain level of every pitcher's goal is to go out there on the mound and throw a complete game shutout. That's all they're trying to do every single time. They may not say it out loud. They may not, you know, they may say, you know, six innings is good enough. I don't think so. I think they're trying to throw nine innings every single time. That's what I did. I threw a complete game in AAA, like in, I don't know what year it was, but 10 years later in 2019-ish, uh, I threw another complete game. It wasn't a no-hitter. It wasn't a, <laughs> you know, I gave up like how many runs. But that look you're talking about, it is a feeling that is tough to describe. It, it's almost like the most satisfying moment you can have from everything that you've done preparing over the years. You finally have a, a moment where you got to throw every single pitch for your team. It's, it's difficult to describe, but I take that with me, and Woodruff's going to take that with him. And who knows what the future is? If he ends up with another team that has a, you know, a garbage bullpen, 
he may have several of these to come in the future, but at least he has that experience pitching in that ninth inning. The way I think about it is every pitcher takes them on wanting to throw all nine innings, but, sure. but now the stigma of saying, you know, that I'm at the end has been removed, I think. And I think that maybe this is also part of Chris Hook knowing these guys back to their earliest, earliest days as pros. They will be honest. And, and that Corbin Burns comes to my mind as one of those guys. When he's at the end, he is honest about it. And he is not the, he's not the guy who's going to go out there on fumes and, and, and gut through an inning when there's a, a better arm even though he's Corbin Burns in that moment who can, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's my, that's my sort of outside view of the way that that's my understanding of kind of how it works. Now. I think the stigma of saying I'm at the end of my, my tank has been emptied, has been removed. And, and that's, that's just the game today. Um, so, and, and every pitcher is different in that. And, and, that's the beauty of this sport is that every guy's outlook on that is a little bit different, but I, I just think it's a different game now. And, th and that's fine. I, I'm, I'm not trying to like battle against that, but again, I was like that, that Woodruff moment was really cool. And it was like a little glimpse of like the way we all remember it back in the day. Yeah. I know we've deviated. Po apologize. <laughs> I get passionate about it because I think it starts with player development. I think it has to do with an organization. If you start instilling these guys when they come in, hey, we're cool with five innings, we're cool with six innings, then they're gonna next level is gonna be the same thing, and next level, next level. And you know, I, I think you know, I think that there's times where you need to make sure these guys could do it. I think it'd be good for them to but throw Tim, 100 the, pitches in a game and 110, 115 pitches in a game. But but the thing is, like, what if five great innings? followed by four more great innings from bullpen arms that are all throwing 95 now because that's what they do. Maybe that's the better way to get through games in 2023. I think that's the way teams look at it. Like they have this, they have a little more extra roster flexibility. They are way more aggressive about sending guys up and down. And the days of like having the like, you know, the, the sort of long man, I, I always use Dave Burba as my example. I don't know why Dave Burba is in my head as like the ultimate long man, but there's no Dave Burbas in baseball anymore. It's guys, it's Trevor McGill throwing 102 is like your, your middle inning guy. Um, and I don't know, I, I maybe that uh, they feel like that's the path to get to 27 outs now. And, and I guess I'm trying not to like, fight against that because it's just that's just the game now with the velocity that exists in this game 90 pitches is the new 120 i hope not i miss those days where guys could just go out there and pitch you know and it's not going to be everybody goes out there and throws nine innings you're not going to have five starters do that it's just unheard of uh, to me that should be the goal and you should instill that in their minds and give them the tools and opportunity to be able to do that to where it's the eighth inning and a guy has a choice and he's going to err on the side of, I want to go back out there. And sometimes you got to make the difficult choice as a manager, pitch coach, and say, no, you're not going to go back out there. But I think you should, that should be the goal. And, and I think you can look around at some organizations and say, you know what, that's not the goal. I think, you know, when you talk to Matt Arnold, Craig Council, Chris Hook, they always take the long view when it comes to the health of their pitching staff. And this is a plan that goes back to the off-season of how these players prepare, how they ramp up their throwing programs. It goes to how scripted spring training is for these players of where they want them to be when it comes to opening day in April. And they always take the position of like, we're mapping out 35 plus starts. We are planning for a seven month season, right? Like that's always been their position. And we are going to do everything possible to keep all of these players productive, healthy, consistent, at a position where we're seeing what we're seeing right now in September, right? Where you feel like Freddy Peralta, after only pitching in 18 games last year, is now at 28 starts. He's made every start. It feels like he's just as strong, right? It doesn't show like he's doesn't seem like he's showing any signs of fatigue. Same with Brandon Woodruff, of course, like the three month, you know, time on the IL for him. But like it feels like Woody's just getting stronger and better every time he takes the the mound and 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 Corbin you know it's just like I, I feel like we take for granted what Corbin does of 
just the workhorse that he has been and, and also taking the ball every turn. So I think it's just they always take the long view and, and a stretch like this, right, with you've got 18 games left. Currently, they're sitting with a 384 team earned run average, the best in the National League. So you could argue that this plan is working. Um, they're they're peaking at the right time. And so now it's like it's going to be interesting to me how they get through this stretch just one more off day. And then you're also, you know, Craig has talked about this during this stretch, too, with us every day is like you're making decisions every day to win the game that hopefully help you win the division that then hopefully set you up for the postseason. So it's going to be interesting to me kind of how they line these players up, balancing all of that. Like, And and I think we are, we're always keeping our eye on that last series against the Cubs, right? Like, what is that series going to mean? And are you going to have to line them up for that series? Or can you, will things be in a better position by then that you can look ahead and you're, you're mapping out your postseason rotation, which is going to be interesting, right? Because I think you could you could make some arguments that you could switch up the order um, of Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta. But I think that that final homestand against the Cardinals and the Cubs could have some say in that too. I love that you brought that up because I was thinking about that today, looking at like some of the playoff odds and things like that. It is going to be so fascinating if we go into that final week and that Cubs series is in play for deciding the NL Central but the Brewers and Cubs look like they're going to be the, the division winner and the top wildcard team. Right. Because then they would fate. No, that's not right. Because then th- that's not right. I'm, th- I'm getting my matchups mixed up. But, but it's the difference be- because either way, my, my point is that either way, you're going to play a best of three wildcard series. Because the the winner of the Central is almost definitely going to be the third best division winner. And maybe it's worth just like revisiting because it appears I need it myself how the playoffs work now because it's changed. The top two division winners, the two division winners with the best records get a bye in the in the first round of the playoffs. The the third best division winner plays a best of three wildcard series against the worst wildcard team. And then the Which for exercise today, <laughs> as we're sitting Thank here you on for Wednesday, saving me. <laughs> the Brewers would host the Arizona Diamondbacks. Okay. If we're if we're starting the postseason today, the Brewers would be that third division winner. They would host the Arizona Diamondbacks for a best of three in the wild card round. And the top two wild card teams would be the Phillies and the Cubs. Okay, so the Phillies are ahead of the Cubs right now. At this moment, yes. So here, here's my, I guess what my like point that I completely botched, my one botch <laughs> per week, is that either way you're going to be playing a best of three first round playoff series, right? I mean, that's the bottom line. So how much capital do you spend in terms of your top three, eight, because there's, you know, your next guy is Wade Miley. So the top three versus Wade Miley, like how much, energy do you spend lining up those three guys in order to win the division when the payoff for winning the division is that you host a best of three series against somebody the d-backs in this case versus going on the road to play a best of three series somewhere else the diff i mean that's a difference it's an advantage to be at home but how how what's the how much of an advantage is it um, how much do you spend to line those guys up to win that series? And now you don't have all of them available in this do or die wildcard series. So that is a terrible explanation. And it's why I'm not on television or in radio for, <laughs> but, but it's that, that's just going to be an interesting call. I think as it comes down is how much do you really throw at that Cubs series in order to win the division? Well, the Cubs series is going to be packed. It's going to be a sellout no matter what, honestly. And I think they're going to try to win it no matter what, if it comes down to it. They're going to throw their horses out there no matter what to try to get through it, to make sure that they are at home. That's what I would do, 100%. Do whatever you got to do to win to make sure you play at home. It does remind me, though, of 2018. Of Remember when we went to Wrigley for Game 163? At that point... Game 163 was to win the division, but the Brewers knew that they were going to the postseason. 
and regardless of whether they won or lost game 163 it was not a it was not an elimination game and it was not a must win game for the sake of their postseason lives and I remember having that conversation with Craig he was like I know as much as like you know that they've put together this magical September you've run down the Cubs that you know they Christian was on his MVP tear um there was so much happening he's like as much as it feels like this isn't a must-win game, it's not. And so, yes, we're going to manage to win the game. We're going to do everything possible to win the game. But we also know that, like, we're playing after this. Um, and I think it was a little different for the Cubs, if I'm remembering correctly. I think that while I agree with that, it was not must-win by the true technical definition of that term. It was must-win adjacent because it was the difference <laughs> – Thank you, Tim. It was the difference between playing, uh, resting up for a best of five division series if you won game 163 versus having to play the next day a one game do or die game, which the Cubs found out um, is dicey. <laughs> and the Brewers in 2019 in Washington, D.C. found out in the eighth inning is very dicey because one bad bounce can completely scuttle your entire season. I guess my point is in this case, I would say it's farther, much farther, that final series, if it comes down to it, between Brewers and Cubs is still important, and home field is great, is, is important. It's better than great. It's, it's important. It matters. But it, I think the difference between that 163 scenario and this potential scenario is a pretty wide wide berth well let's say everything falls right into whatever the first three games of the playoffs what's your rotation picks who goes first second third as far as woodruff burns peralta we're, we're pretty far ahead of ourselves at this point now well I'm just, you know, <laughs> i don't I'm think you can curious. make a wrong decision that that is a exactly. good position that right. council yeah. is yeah. in we are we are getting very far <laughs> ahead of ourselves uh but, I mean, these are going to be fun conversations to have over the next couple of weeks, and I'm sure we'll be asking Craig about that a lot uh, over the next couple of weeks with 18 games left and kind of as you ultimately get closer to that last homestand and last regular season series. And I think part of it dictates on what are the pieces, you know, what are the Cubs doing around you and all of that good stuff. But we, uh, we have more to talk about <laughs> other than just pitching, so we'll take a quick break and we'll come back here on Brewers Unfiltered. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We're back here on Brewers Unfiltered. Always a lot to talk about with the pitching staff and deservedly so for how they have been pitching here lately as we get through this homestand against the Marlins and then coming up over the weekend, the Washington Nationals. And uh, guys, there is a new player on the roster, the 58th different player that uh, we've seen in a Brewers uniform, and it is Josh Donaldson. And, you know, his season has been interesting. Started with the New York Yankees, two long stints for him on the injured list. It was a right hamstring, a right calf. He was on the 60-day IL. He had been released by the Yankees. The Brewers picked him up at the end of August, signed him to a minor league deal. He went on to play five games with the Nashville Sounds. Um, not great numbers for him. They're not eye-popping numbers for him, uh, his time with the Yankees or his time with the Nashville Sounds. But the power has been there for him. He had 15 hits with the Yankees. Ten of those were homers. Then in Nashville, he had three hits, and two of those were homers. And he comes up and he joins the Brewers here on Monday when they started the homestand against the Marlins. And in his first two games, he's been on base six times. He hit a absolute monster home run on Tuesday, 426 feet. 
and he's drawn three walks as well. So he's making an impact in his first two games. And I think for the Brewers, this is for, for both the Brewers and Josh, and again, in the smallest sample size of two games, this is probably as good as you could hope for in terms of a player coming up and making an impact right away. Well, I think they picked him up as a jick. A JIC, a just in case, right? Because you don't know what's going to happen. I've been one of those guys before. <laughs> uh, in spring training, that's what they do. They take a whole bunch of pitchers on the bus and they're like, hey, just in case, right? We call them jicks. So, yeah, just in case guy. And you know what? They had a just in case moment with Yelich being scratched and, you know, the possibility of missing an entire series. And now Canna's getting his wrist looked at by the doctor, I guess, today sometime as we talk on Wednesday. So, yes, there is a. There's a just-in-case moment, and they call on a guy that's a veteran that's been around a long time that uh, is a smart player. I mean, I think the reason his power is there is because he's such a smart batter uh, when he gets in the box. And I think it's pretty amazing that he's reached base six times in, in what, like nine trips to the plate? He was on base four times just on Tuesday. Um, and I like the, the mixture of the, the power and the walks. And being able to recognize that because as a pitcher, when you're facing guys like that, it's like if he attacks me early, I'm in trouble. And if he doesn't swing, I'm in trouble. Yeah, look, what I wrote last night is that sometimes games unfold in unexpected ways and sometimes they like are mapped out from the start and work exactly as you planned. And the Brewers win Tuesday night was one of those like exactly as planned games because Freddie Peralta is the reigning August NL pitcher of the month and he gives you a gem your third straight gem and josh donaldson who you brought up the day before to hit homers hit a homer to give you the lead and win the game so it was like just as scripted which doesn't often happen in baseball um and you know look we'll see whether he can continue to do that i think the the walks are really encouraging um because it just shows you that you know, he's got his eyes right after a really short ramp up at AAA and not seeing live pitching for a long time because he was down with a calf injury and on the 60-day IL for the Yankees. And um, the Brewers are trying to catch lightning in a bottle. And he doesn't have to be great for six months. He needs to be great, they hope, for six weeks. And if he gives you some homers over the course of six weeks, it means that something really good has happened because they are playing um, deep into the postseason. So, you know, the balance between Donaldson and Monasterio will be will be interesting to watch because Monasterio, they like what he's given them um, defensively, and he's gotten some hits. So Craig Council said he'll continue to play, and then um, when there's matchups that make sense, then Donaldson will play third, and it lets you use Monasterio at second against these lefties instead of Terang. Um, so it, it just it, it opens up a... Uh, some more options for Craig Council. Yeah, Donaldson has reached in six of his nine plate appearances, has two RBIs. And then, uh, Adam, I'm glad you brought up Andre Monasterio because, you know, they feel like he really has improved defensively at third base. That was probably the position that he had played the least. He had pretty much been a, you know, second baseman shortstop in the minor leagues playing up the middle defensively. Um, and, you know, he's been really productive at the plate over his last 16. He's hitting 339. He has an RBI in five straight games in this stretch. So, you know, I think like any rookie, he's had some ups and downs, but overall he's been pretty, pretty consistent. He also drew a bases loaded walk um, last night. So you are still going to see plenty of Andre Monasterio, but I think Josh Donaldson just like we talk about, it's just the threat of power. You know, it's it's a big name. It's a former MVP. It's a it's an all star. It's a player with close to 270 career home runs um, on your roster. It's you know you like you said you you hope you kind of catch lightning in a bottle with what he can give you. If he, if you can get like the best power version of Josh Donaldson, that's the Brewers will take that absolutely. Um, and, and like you guys said, all of this there's been some openings um, because Christian Yelich has been out since Saturday um, against the New York Yankees. He's been dealing with some back soreness. He is day-to-day, not on the injured list. They don't think that this is a a serious or long-term back issue for him. He has been making progress every day. Yesterday was the first time, yesterday, Tuesday, I should say, was the first time we saw him on the field, you know, playing catch, doing some running around, he did some flips in the cage, um, not on the field yet, obviously, in the lineup, but hopefully that can change in the next couple of days. And then the Mark Canna thing, 
um, left wrist soreness. So he's going to be evaluated kind of what do you guys think of how that could impact, you know, the lineups that we see here over the next couple of days? Well, it just all depends on the time they miss. Canna said that he's had this wrist thing before and he knew it yesterday when it happened kind of at the end of his swing, pregame swings. He knew exactly what it was. Um, they were super careful about, um, you know, pulling him out of that game. He didn't swing in his first plate appearance. Um, so he thinks he'll be able to get that treated and get back in there in short order. And Yelich sounded pretty confident late last night about that he'd turned a corner. So, you know, you'd hate to play without two guys. That makes it difficult. Um, but, but I think if those are short absences and if Yelich really has kind of rounded the bend and can come back, uh, that would be a big deal. And look, with the Yelich thing, he's cooled a lot and he was like this super impact hitter for a long time. And then he really has kind of cooled starting in the middle of August, kind of as the team got going. That's one of the impressive things about the streak they've had is that it's not been like the doubles Homer Yelich um, in that stretch. So sometimes a little reset, a couple of days off can be a good thing. And I think like that's the super optimistic version of this is he, he gets a little reset and then hopefully kind of gets back to the impact Yelich down, down the stretch and into the postseason after a little break. Yeah, every, I mean, I think that's what it is, is a healthy Christian Yelich. We've been asked all season long, just because he's done so well, like, hey, what do you think's the contributing factor of his turnaround this season? I think it's health. Uh, when he's healthy, he's fantastic. And so, yeah, get him healthy. Make sure he's completely ready. Look what they did with Woodruff. They made sure he was completely ready before they activated him. And he came back and he's just been dominant. So make sure don't, there's no reason to push Yelich. There's too many guys that are doing really well right now um, to, to push that for any reason. But so make sure he's healthy and not, um, you're going to get back a guy that's leading the team in stolen bases, leading the team in hits, leading the team in runs. So yeah, be, be patient on that, especially when the team's still playing well without him. But Canna, Canna's been a fantastic 36 games for the Brewers, and he's batting over 300. He's getting his walks in. He's scoring runs. Hopefully they get him back as well. Um, but they're still good. That's what's amazing about the team when you start talking about depth, that Craig Council doesn't have to rush some of these guys because they have good fillers. Um, speaks to the depth, and that's what you need, especially in September, especially in playoffs. I would just say the one thing, if you have both of those guys down, like Joey Weimer's at-bats are not good. Um, he's he's – He's playing defense when he's in there. Um, he is not in a good place offensively. So, and and Sal Freelich is not having. He's still getting on. He's getting on base, which is which is good. Um, but but he's Freelich not having good man. <laughs> I mean, good. it's it. I guess it's like the, it shows you though. Like it's this is these are rookies, and this is really hard. And they're doing this development. Um, independent race at the big league level against all these new big league pitchers. There's a lot on their plate and sometimes it, it shows a little bit. So, you know, I think that's what Canna's really brought is this like these super proficient at bats. And we were talking to Craig Council about the stretch that they've been on. And part of it is like the team is almost like adopted that approach the, the lineup has kind of adopted that approach. It's, it's these good at bats, it's balls in play getting through and leading to big innings uh, in, in this period. And it's like, <clears throat> I don't know. It's almost like they've taken on a little Mark Canna personality, probably a coincidence, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's just with both of those guys down, I think it's tough. You're relying on the rookies a lot at that point. Well, I'll, I'll say this to, to your point, talking about these at bats yesterday, the game ball, the juice box, who had I given it to Tuesday, was Andrew Monasterio. He had three at-bats, and he saw 24 pitches. Not to mention he walks and uh, ties the game, right? Bases loaded walk. Uh, his nine-pitch strikeout in his second at-bat, uh, it was, I mean, so what? He struck out. This guy's seeing so many pitches. And then he has an eight-pitch double to lead off the seventh where he scores, ends up being the third round of the game. That right there is just kind of that little game that he had, for the most part, is a is an example of what they've been doing over the last, you know, several weeks. It's I'm either, I'm going to make this pitcher work. And the reason it probably wasn't as effective uh, yesterday is because there were so many bullpen. It was kind of a Johnny all staff for the Marlins. Uh, but in any regular ball game with a natural starter, this is the stuff that cripples teams. 
it cripples the starter. It forces the bullpen early. And if the bullpen's not absolutely nails where you can rely on five or six or seven guys like the Brewers have, which is rare, uh, that's where you start seeing um, you know, teams kind of chip away and peel back layers of just how they're exposed. So anyway, I just I know that they're rookies. And I know that they've, you know, guys are battling injuries, but they're putting together good at bats. And it only works if it's a complete lineup. Their approach does not work if it's just three or four guys that are having this aggressive, early, patient, late. It is one through nine that is absolutely crushing other teams' pitching. Well, and let's not forget that Mark Hanna also gave us one of the best lines of the year about the offense, about it. the offense was offensing. <laughs> and and I think that's what Tim was talking about with having a, a complete you know, a complete lineup of hitters with tough at-bats, competing, not giving in, um, and putting pressure on the other team. So um, a quick note as well, on the homestand, we had a chance to catch up with the first-round draft pick, Brock Wilkin, drafted out of Wake Forest, 21 years old. He uh, went to the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers after the draft, 34 games for him, a 289 average, two homers. And after we got a chance to chat with him on Monday, he went to double A Biloxi, hit a grand slam in his first game in double A. So uh, stay hot, Brock Wilkin. But we, um, Adam, we got a chance to chat with him. He's uh, He's got a lot of personality, a very confident kid. Um and he, he certainly looks like a first-round draft pick. I was going to say, Sophia, do you think he needed to work on his interview skills and confidence? He's big league ready. He is big league ready. He has a lot of confidence. He is poised. And, uh, yeah, he's been raking. He's been raking in his very short professional career here. I remember Ryan Braun getting drafted, and they had us, like a, the media that was covering the draft, in the conference room that's in one of the windows like if you look up in the right field corner, there's some windows that are the offices at a Miller Park slash American Family Field. And, you know, you always ask the kid, like, you know, what do you how long do you think it'll take you to get to the big leagues? So someone asked that question and Braun goes, oh, I think I maybe by the end of the year, early next year. And he wasn't that far off in his defense. What May 2007, he was up, and this is 2005 when he's drafted. But Brock Wilkin, very confident. Uh, he is a large man, as you saw probably in the pictures. Is for I know everybody who listens to this is a subscriber to the uh, Brewers newsletter that uh, I send out twice a week. And there were pictures of Brock Wilkin next to Bryce Terang. And, and Bryce is like a slim guy, but, I mean, he's easy, what, 6'1"? Six, six Something like that. I mean, Brock Wilkin is like, and next to Joey Weimer, who's like a mountain, and Brock Wilkin sort of looks bigger than Joey Weimer in that picture. So um, big man, big confidence, five RBIs and a grand slam in his double-A debut, and he big-leagued us, Sophia, on the news of his promotion because <laughs> our friend Kurt Hogue from the Journal Sentinel did ask him. He's like, you know, what do you think? There's a Might they maybe send you to Biloxi to finish that year? And Brock Wilkin was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what's next. And he knew what was next. They're not going to like wake him up at six in the morning with a plane ticket to Biloxi. Like he knew and he, he didn't want to be the one to break the news. So very savvy, even for a young man, not to tell the reporters where he was going next. And that's when him. you know he's big league ready because he was following Todd Johnson's orders of don't tell them yet that you're going to Biloxi. <laughs> that's when you know he's a smart kid, right? Yeah, but it he's was, ready. You know that is it. it you know it, there's so much going on with the major league team right now in September, and hopefully a postseason push here. But it is fun to to get a chance to meet you know those first round draft picks, and that's a big day for them. It's a significant day. Um, you know, after the draft, when they get to come and, you know, meet Craig Council and meet some of the players and spend some time in the clubhouse, be on the field for, you know, hit some BP and take some ground balls with Bryce Terang and the rest of the infield. So it's, I thought it was, uh, I thought that's it was a fun cool. Day. I was watching uh, watching to take it early batting practice because I get to the field too early. Uh, you wouldn't know it from my job, but I try to go and get, you know, prepared. But watching him take early batting practice and later on, he's, you know, he's, he's fielding ground balls at third and he fields a ground ball and throws it. And then Brian Anderson fields a ball and throws it. And then Brian Anderson turns around, and they shake hands at third base. They haven't even met and they're taking ground grounders together. <laughs> I thought I thought that was just a really cool moment. But watching him take batting practice, I'll tell you who it reminds me of a little bit. Seeing him at third base, seeing him swing the bat, 
hearing he's getting called up to double A, uh, getting ready for playoffs. To me, it reminds me of 2006, Evan Longoria. He came up in double A. We were in the playoffs in 2006, and they we didn't know who he was. They called him up from A ball or wherever and just had an approach. And you just don't see that in double A. And he had an approach. And you could see that just in his batting practice. If he rolled over on a ball, he had the, the correct correction uh, to do that. I mean, as a pitcher watching this batting practice, I'm like, man, this kid's 21 years old, but he... He has an approach. He knows what he's doing, and that's gonna. There's no wonder he's in Double A right now, crushing balls because he's just kind of ahead of everybody else. And let's put it in context too. Uh, the the Shuckers are playing big games this final week. They're at home against Montgomery, a team they're trying to chase down for a playoff spot. The Biscuits. The Biscuits. Best lo- best logo in sports. No. <laughs> oh my God! It's a biscuit with its. It is with, a biscuit. With butter a mouth with, yeah. with pads of butter for eyes, right? Of or course. pads of butter they for eyes. They throw them out of games. I've eaten several of those biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> but the Shuckers uh, going into the series, they needed to win the series. So they need four of six in order to clinch a playoff spot. So they, they're one down. They got one win down as of last night. Um, so good for them. And the, the Carolina Mudcats are also in the playoffs. They began a playoff series last night and they lost game one. So they're going to have to win the next two. But it's. You know, it's been a while for Brewers affiliates in the playoffs, and Tom Flanagan, the farm director, was saying, you know, rule number one is about development in the minor leagues, but playing these big games, it has a great benefit. So I think they're excited that after the Arizona club won their league championship, now one another club is in the playoffs, and the AA team is fighting for the playoffs. It's great experience for a, a pretty wide swath of their uh their their kids in the minor leagues well uh certainly we hope hope brock and and biloxi they're able to get it done this week and and advance and continue with their season but before we wrap up fellas let's do a quick stat of the week for the old brew crew so uh you can fight over who wants to go first with your well-researched information information i will go first (laughs) okay adam you're the leadoff hitter the Brewers have gotten it together since getting swept at Dodgers Stadium. They scored three runs while getting swept in three games by the Dodgers. And since then, they have gone on a roll, and the pitching has been phenomenal. But as we were talking about, the offense has been really good. And the number for me in that span is a 329 batting average on balls in play, third best in baseball. And I love batting average in balls in play because you can sit there and argue over a beverage or two any way you want about that stat. For some people, it means they've been lucky because a number that high, third highest in the majors in that span means you've gotten just lucky on balls in play. The flip side of that is you put balls in play and good things happen. And I think the Brewers would put themselves in that latter category that they have done a good job over the last couple of weeks of putting balls in play and letting good things happen. And it's led to, as we were saying, some of these big innings. And Mark Canna thoughtful Mark Canna was saying he was actually sitting there thinking about that the other day uh, as he was getting ready for a game about the impact of a big inning on another team. In other words, in Mark Canna's view, there's a difference between scoring five runs in a game and a five run and scoring all of those runs in one inning that it's just kind of takes a chunk out of the other team. And the Brewers have put together some, some crooked numbers um, in the last couple of weeks. And I think that that BABIP stat, stat, depending on how you look at it, is like on one hand, oh, it's just luck. They're, you know, It doesn't mean anything. And on the other hand, no, they're putting the ball in play and letting good things happen. And if they continue to do that with their pitching and defense, they're going to be okay. My stat of the week is 13. Lucky 13. Um, over the last eight games, the Brewers have scored 48 runs. 13 have been from batters that have walked. I know that isn't really cool. Walks are not cool, but they are. (laughs) They hurt pitchers' feelings because you didn't swing at what they threw. And anytime you let a walk score, you remember that. Pitchers hate that. You can't defend the walk, and you just just feel deflated in a way. I would rather give up a single and let that guy score later, or a double, rather than walk a guy and he ends up scoring. That is the worst. And the Brewers are making it very painful on opposing pitchers because they are taking walks galore. So 13 walks 
Uh, out of the, I mean, I didn't even look up how many walks they've had. My goodness, I bet it's they're probably averaging five or six walks a game right now, um, in the last week or so. Uh, but yeah, thirteen batters that have walked have scored in the last eight games. Well, Tim, I can tell you because that was a fabulous segue to my stat of the week, oh. which is also walk related. Yes. Um, so overall on the season, the Brewers are the third best team in the National League in terms of drawing walks. Um, they are at nearly, oh, that's not right, nearly 10%. But in August and September, they have drawn 146 walks, which is good for 4.3 in that stretch. They've been even better, um, or at least about the same, actually, in September here, 11 games, and they are averaging four walks per game. And I just think kind of to Adam's point about bringing it all together, when you are consistently putting runners on base, I think that batting average ball and play stat means even more. And that's how you're able to get multiple of those multi-run innings, which the Brewers have had. And that's what Mark Hanna was talking about. I asked Craig Council about that the other day. Like the impact that that has on the other team, right? About it's it's pitch counts, it's long innings, it's rallies, walks are frustrating, um, two-out hits feel like backbreakers when runs are scoring. And then you put together a couple innings like that, and it's it can be really deflating for the other team. Um, and obviously add-on runs have been huge for the team lately. So I think, um, again, for as much as this team is not home run reliant, I think walks are a big deal and a big reason why they're able to put together these rallies. So, guys, I think we were all kind of on, we were that all on the good. same page. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Mine was about to be zero, which was the number of nice meals I had in New York City because it rained all weekend. So I'm glad I went with a number that connected better to what you guys said. I thought you were going to say um, <laughs> rain delays and also rainy walks from the subway for you and Todd Rosiak. Uh, did you? Did I run into you that Number day where I was soaking walks. wet? Did you? Uh, yes, I saw you guys in the clubhouse. Yeah, we looked like wet rats that had just stumbled <laughs> in from the D train. It was not pretty, not pretty, but... You know what? There's another stat of the day is four, which is the number of days left in the regular season where we even have to think about the weather forecast because we've got all these AmFam field domers and then we've got four, three domers in uh, Miami. Right. So just four St. Louis games St. left Louis. on the road yep. to worry about the weather and the elements. Yeah. What could go wrong in St. Louis? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> On that note, it's going to be great, guys. Uh, we're going to finish up the series here against the Miami Marlins. They're going to go with an opener. Trevor McGill, Adrian Hauser will return from the injured list on Thursday in the series finale. And then they'll line it back up again um, against the Washington Nationals, a three-game set this weekend. And it's also Fan Appreciation Weekend. So we hope to see a lot of fans out at American Family Field this weekend. Um, and we will talk to you from the road, from St. Louis next week. So thanks for listening in on Brewers Unfiltered. On behalf of Adam and Tim and Sophia, make sure you're keeping up with us and the Brewers on all of their social media platforms. So thanks for listening. <laughs>